Welcome to the Upbeat Podcast, powered by CoChart, a show that's dedicated to providing resources for families impacted by childhood chronic illness. For articles, videos, and show notes, visit our platform at theupbeat.cochart.org. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Upbeat Podcast. I am Greg, CoachArt's Executive Director. And I'm Roxanne, CoachArt's Marketing Director, and I'm also a parent of a child with a chronic illness. And the Upbeat Podcast is powered by CoachArt. CoachArt is a nonprofit organization that does free arts and athletics programming for any child impacted by any chronic illness currently in L.A., the Bay Area, and San Diego. And our guest today is a CoChart board member, longtime CoChart board member, and even more importantly, a parent um, of a child who was in CoChart's program and uh, probably the most valuable person that we could talk to. When I joined CoChart, uh, I learned more about the impact that the programs have by talking to Elena than any other conversations that I had. Um, and so we're thrilled to be having her on today and inviting you all to join that conversation as well. So welcome, Elena. Oh, thank you. And so, Elena, before you were on the board, your son, Brad, was in the program. Can you tell us a little bit about his story? Yes. Um, so Brad was 14 when he was first diagnosed with medulloblastoma, which is a pediatric brain tumor. And um, so he had surgery immediately to remove the tumor, and they got it all. And uh, But he needed to go through um, radiation treatment and chemotherapy that was going to be, you know, pretty difficult. We started off with the radiation treatment first, um, which made him pretty sick. And uh, he lost weight and a lot of his energy pretty rapidly. So the radiation was six weeks in length, but the chemotherapy was going to go on for um, a year and a half or so, which was a really long period of time. Um, And as a 14-year-old, um, in his first year of high school and being a very social person in general, this whole series of uh, treatments and being not feeling well and not being around, able to be around other people because of his blood counts and stuff was really uh, a really difficult thing for him to do. And so I was always looking for something. He was seeing, you know, various specialists, including um, psychiatry and psycho- psychology specialists, but it, it wasn't really doing it for him. Um, so he happened, he, well, he was at a major medical center that works with children that um, they had a special room for the parents that was like a resource room. And I went in there one day and there was just a simple paper flyer that said CoChart um, was just starting up and they were looking for pilot students at that point. So I uh, called them right up. Um, it was one of our founders, Leah, who uh, I spoke to immediately and found out about the program and then talked to Brad and really sold him on it because his initial reaction was, you know, no, I don't want to. And, you know, I just sold him hard until I got him going to it. And it, it was transformational at that point. Oh, wow. Thank you. Yeah. And so when... 
uh, it felt like some of Brad's friends were taking a step back after that happened. What what were some of the ways that you talked to him or advice that you would have for other parents, for somebody who's in that age group of a teenager, you know, a young teenager, able to conceptualize their sense of identity and knows what's what's happening to them and, and can think about what's going on around them? What advice would you have for how to have those conversations with a child that age about their illness, their illness and the reaction that people are having? That's a really difficult question to answer. Number one, because every child is really different and every circumstance is really different and they're, they're going to handle it in different ways. Um, in Brad's case, uh, we had told him from the time he came out of surgery that he was cancer-free and that all of the treatment that he was going through was like insurance to just make sure it didn't come back, but that he was cancer-free and he was, you know, in our opinion, he was going to remain cancer-free and just had to go through this treatment. Um, so he had no fear about cancer, which was, you know, unique, I think, coming from an adult perspective. We, we had a ton of fear, but he had no fear um, that it was going to return. He just knew he was going through this really long, drawn-out treatment that he hated. And we talked really openly. But now, we were a family that always talked really openly. And he was the biggest talker in the whole family. And so it was really easy to draw him out and find out, you know, some of his feelings. But the things that he expressed to us were immediately were uh, that you know, his hair had all th fallen out during radiation treatment and because uh, he was getting a, a strong chemotherapy agent at the same time as the radiation. And uh, he was very nauseated and had a very difficult time taking in any nutrition and, and keeping food down. And so he lost a tremendous amount of weight immediately. Um, at the same time as he was still, you know, he w had started his growth spurt at that time. So he had gotten a little bit taller and he was just really like a skeleton. He just looked awful and he knew it. You know, and, and teenagers are so conscious of what they look like and wanting to be normal. And that's what we heard from him all the time. He didn't want to see any friends because he didn't look normal. He didn't want to go anywhere because he didn't look normal. And people would know he hated people's pity or sympathy. And we were trying to do everything that we could to make him feel better. And knowing that he felt, you know, he was isolating himself and he was, you know, feeling so anxious about how he looked and his, you know, his social life and everything. We were just trying to figure out how to talk with them and how to draw it out of him and everything. Um, and we, we honestly, we got very little much less than he normally would have given us in terms of his emotional reactions. And that's why I was really just reaching out and kind of just stabbing, like, what activity can I get him involved in that, mm -hmm. you know, that will be his thing and will, you know, that he can do away from me and away from, you know, his dad and, you know, just on his own. And Coach Art was just turned into the perfect solution for him out of everything that we found to be available for him. So whether Coach Art is available in somebody's, someone's location or not, the actual act of kind of learning, a, a focusing on an art or athletic skill, can you talk a little bit about why you think that was effective and, and what, the, the, what somebody might be able to take from that uh, anywhere in the country? 
Right. Um, and I would highly recommend that somebody anywhere in the country who doesn't have co-chart or something like that gets their child active in something. Um, I think the most important thing for Brad was that it was a time period, you know, a few hours every week that uh, he was taking art lessons, which he was not an artist. He did not. He was not particularly interested in art prior to Coach Art, and because Coach Art was just starting out, they didn't have a lot of options. And art was the one that appealed to him the most. And honestly, it was the most geographically desirable because it was relatively close. And um, so, I think the most important thing for Brad was having that activity that had nothing to do with his life before he was sick, nothing to do with his illness, nothing to do with his family or anybody that he had ever known. And none of them ever knew that he was sick. I mean, they might have guessed it, but the Bruce, his instructor, never said anything. Brad never said anything. He wore a hat there. And um, my guess is he was more animated there than he ever was at home, and he pulled his energy together for it. And um, it, when he used to he used to do a lot of talks for coach art and he would say before coach art i was just a sick kid sitting on the couch with nothing to do feeling sorry for myself and then i started art lessons with coach art and i became an artist and it was a magical transition it was this whole new identity for him he said you know it made me feel normal and it made me it gave me something to do every week you know i had i could look forward to that it was Wonderful. So you talked a little bit about the sort of low point that he was at emotionally in terms of sort of friends who took a step back, but also him not wanting to be seen and be around folks. Can you talk about anything that started to improve that uh, rebuilding those bridges, rebuilding those relationships, anything that was helpful in terms of kind of starting to to go back to, to a new normal? Really, it was after treatment stopped for him. And, uh, he his treatment stopped during like the middle of summer and he went back to school in September so by the time he went back to school he had short hair it was it was coming back and it was you know it was actually a haircut that he probably would have gone and gotten on his own anyways and um so um he started to feel normal when he went back to school you know he a lot of his friends they just had gone in different directions than where he was. So at school, he made new friends. And, you know, little by little, he started, you know, making that shift from being that sick kid to being normal. So for a parent of a child who might be mid-treatment right now, it sounds like what I'm hearing, and tell me if you agree, is that even for a really social child, there might not be any really solving for the social elements during treatment. It might be something that kind of, you know, uh, other than a sort of art and athletic activity or something to take your mind off of it and, and you know, find a new identity that uh, 
it might be something that you just have to make it through, but that the light at the end of the tunnel is after treatment, that socialness will come back. You can see that that re-emergence uh, of, of that really social side. Mm-hmm. Um, and so not to not to lament that that w- would be permanent, but that, you know, that that uh, that side of your your son did come back. Yeah. At the same time, I think that's true. And of course, it's different for everybody. And he was a teenager. And so all of those elements that we've been talking about you know, are stronger with teenagers than they are with younger kids. Um, But I do think it's important for parents to know that um, even when your child is completely well again, they're not going to be the same child that you expected them to be before cancer. And it's not just because of the physical changes in them, but emotionally, um, and I think, you know, their character and their personality is different. It's very positive things and very challenging things both. And so, um, you know, just be prepared that you're going to have to deal with it. And uh, my husband and I used to, like, talk to Brad and talk about Brad and, you know, say, you know, he's like 17 going on 80, but at the same time acting like a seven-year-old, you know? Mm, right. So there was a lot of development that he missed that was really important that he had to catch up on. And then there was a lot of maturity that he gained from the experience as well. And so if I could say anything, I would say, you know, just learn to roll with the punches, you know, try not to have expectations, develop a positive, as positive an attitude as you possibly can about your child. And work really hard at accepting them the way that they are now and, you know, um, being the cheerleader of that person the way that they are now instead of thinking, wow, before he was like this and he did that and, you know, would he have been this? Would he have been that without this? He is who he is. Right. So my daughter was six when we experienced a very similar situation and she was diagnosed with cancer. And I can relate to so much of what you're saying. Even at six, she was very passionate about keeping her privacy. And and now that she's 13 and healthy and thriving and playing soccer, she still doesn't like it when I tell people that, you know, she battled cancer at six. Like she's very private. And that was a struggle for me is respecting those boundaries, because here I am thinking you're six years old. You don't know what you need. You don't know what you want. I'm your parent. I'm going to enroll you in coach art. I'm going to, you know, (laughs) apply for Make-A-Wish. I'm going to, you know, take control of the situation where I I think internally she was crying out to have that control back. And I think they feel so strongly that with an illness like just taking over their whole life as it does, that they've lost total control. And you need to help them regain that control throughout the illness process and then afterwards as well as much as possible. And it's really challenging because when your child starts to feel better and wants to just go out there and do everything and you have to take a step back and grit your teeth and say, okay, he's going to be fine or she's going to be fine. And I need to let loose of those ropes. How did your husband deal with um, Brad's diagnosis and his reaction to how things were going on and also your daughter? So I tend to be the person in the family that like when there's a problem, like, well, I probably tend to be this in life, actually. I just like jump in and try and figure it out. And it helps me to process my fear, I think, by just, you know, taking as much control as I can and, you know, 
not sitting around and kind of moaning and groaning and stuff. Uh, and my husband is very private, and he goes inward, and um, he experiences his emotions really deeply. And true to form, that's exactly what we did. And fortunately, again, um, we had very good communication in our family, and so we continued to communicate that. But after Brad went back to school and, uh, you know, got out of the illness mode, so to speak, my husband and I had to go for marital counseling because there was, you know, all this stuff that we didn't get to talk about and didn't get to do and, you know, hidden resentments and like, about the littlest, weirdest things that, you know, you're not focusing on that when your kid is fighting for their life at that point and you're fighting with them. And so that was a major help for us. Now, my daughter was 11 when he was first diagnosed and 13 when he sort of started normalizing. And uh, it was, and she is like my husband, she's a really private, quiet person. And it was um, really devastating for her. She was so afraid about her brother and she couldn't express it. And she hated all of the, you know, the hospital visits. And um, in Brad's case, uh, he ended up having to go on um, total parental nutrition TPN, which is um, IV. It's not even injected through the through a gastric tube in the stomach, but you, it's through IV through his uh, port that he had at that time. And so every night we had to do this whole routine of preparing the TPN and getting him hooked up with it and, you know, cleaning everything and, you know, wearing masks on our face. And so it was like, it, our house is like a hospital. I mean, it was just horrible. And she just hated every little bit of it. And the people coming up to her that outside the house that we had no control over that were, oh, I'm so sorry to hear about your brother. And, my, you know, and, you know, just hating all of that as well. Um, and she held it in. She had a really good friend that lived right down the street. And I think during that those three years, she spent more time at their house than at our house. But she had a lot of fear and pain and resentment and anger that she held in for a very long time. Could you mention the hospital that uh, Brad had gone through for, for treatments and things that were services beyond the medical services through the hospital uh, that were helpful or not helpful? Right. Well, so there was uh, psychiatric and psychological services, which I think was really important in his case. That's sort of quasi-medical. Um, the support groups for um, kids who were going through various treatments or, you know, had a, um, a chronic illness of some sort that they were being treated at the hospital were available. They also had um, similar groups for the parents, which um, is something I actually think is a key thing. And I would really advise any parent that if there is some kind of a support group, whether it's in person or online, online stuff wasn't available when we were doing this, that they get hooked up with one that they feel comfortable with. Was well, there any other advice that we haven't asked about that if somebody's listening, you would say, here's something that I would really want to impart and um, uh, that looking back on your experience, you would pass along? The whole thing about getting counseling whenever you can for every member of the family and, and, you know, independently and then together, either during the illness process or afterwards is really important in reestablishing, the, you know, the new normal. Also. 
if people can learn like yoga or meditation or something that they could do on their own if they have, you know, 15 minutes of downtime or something, I would really highly recommend that. And I do that now. And uh, it has really changed my life. So I, I wished that I had had that in my life at that time. Well, Elena, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Upbeat. Uh, we're so grateful for it. And, and you've imparted some really uh, amazing wisdom. And for parents who are going through it, you can find more content like this uh, at theupbeat.coachart.org, where we have blog posts, podcasts, and YouTube clips, uh, as well as a Facebook group that you can join and share uh, your own helpful advice with other families who are dealing with social and emotional questions about kids going through chronic illness. So we hope to see you there. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you.